that is what opened us up to bringing on partners and then syndicating and bringing on multiple partners. And, and he's right. We never would have gotten to the scale that we are right now if it would have been for bringing on partners and doing this together. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I am Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Scott Myers. Scott, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Theo. How about yourself? I am doing well. Thanks for asking. Thank you for joining us today. Looking forward to our conversation and talking about self-storage. So Scott is a full-time self-storage investor with over 27 years of experience. His portfolio consists of $160 million in assets under management. This includes 13,000 self-storage doors, which is $2.5 million square feet in 39 facilities nationwide. Scott is based in Indianapolis, and you can learn more about him and his company at his website, selfstorageinvesting.com. So Scott, do you mind telling us some more about your background and what you're focused on today? Yeah, focus 100% on self-storage today. And by way of my background in real estate, like many folks, Started out in the single family rental business. My first home study system that I ever purchased to get into real estate was the Carlton Sheets home study system. Some of the folks out there may remember Carlton and his program. And the model was to buy a house with an assumable mortgage if you can find it. And I did. I found a house that had an assumable VA mortgage and purchased that facility with a little amount of cash that it was needed to get into it. Rehabbed it, rented it out, and then moved on to the next, refinancing it, move on to the next. So the Burr method, before it was called the Burr method, then bought two more and then continued to grow that side of the business. We had about 75 houses and realized that this wasn't the business that I had thought it was. And Carlton didn't talk about all of the hassles of tenants and toilets and trash. And I didn't have all the freedom and cash flow that I had wanted. So I thought, well, economies of scale will fix this. And so I, I started buying apartments and we got up to about 400 apartments in central Indiana. And at the end of the day, good asset class, but it just, I, I found that it was still a little too labor intensive, even with property management companies. So if I wanted to stay in real estate, but get rid of the hassles of tenants and toilets and trash, I'm left with either self-storage or parking lots. And you can't really build a lot of value into a parking lot. So I began looking into self-storage and what I saw was very intriguing and very interesting and very enticing. So the more I got into it, I realized that this is the path I wanted to take. So I bought my first ever facility and the rest they say is history. The ability to when a tenant, and it's not really a tenant, a client does not pay, we lock them out and then we sell their goods off to pay for the back rent and the late fees. And there really isn't a turn like we had in our apartments with carpet and drywall and paint. We just blow it out with a blower. It's a concrete slab with a metal box around it. And we move in the next person waiting in line. So we very quickly moved into that asset class, sold all our houses and apartments and have never looked back. I've been in self-storage. First facility I bought was in 2005. So for the past 15 years, I've been involved in self-storage of those 27 that I've been in real estate. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that very detailed background. So you kind of went into some of the advantages of the self-storage when it comes to that hassle. Was that really the only reason why you transitioned from multifamily to self-storage or were there other reasons besides that kind of hassle of the turn aspect? Was it mm -hmm. a financial reason where you can get a better return with self-storage or really anything else? 
Yeah, a couple of reasons. Um, good question, Theo. First of all, self-storage is an asset class. And, and in this sector, it's very recession resistant and it's also inflation resistant. And that's just by nature of the business. When times are good, when things are going well in our economy, people buy more stuff, they move, they upgrade their houses. And anytime that we have a transition in somebody's life, they typically need storage. And if they just run out of room for all their stuff, it goes into storage. Conversely, when we have a downturn in the economy, which is what we're experiencing right now and what we have, this will be the third recession that I've gone through. We see, again, another rush to self-storage because businesses are downsizing, individuals are downsizing, they're moving in with each other. Businesses are moving inventory in or additional office equipment until the economy turns around again. So the industry, the asset class in self-storage actually benefits from a downturn in the economy. It actually does better during a downturn than it does during good times. Whereas we saw our apartment values and home values go down during a recession and with a lack of financing, we see the inverse for self-storage. So it's just much easier to be able to navigate through both economic cycles and have a steady up and to the right returns. Whereas with other asset classes that we're in, it continues to go up and down with the economy. And for that reason, self-storage has the lowest loan default rate on commercial loans compared to all of the commercial asset classes. So that in turn makes it easier to finance self-storage facilities when we have lenders that love to have self-storage facilities on their balance sheet because it is the most stable asset class. And our private lenders, our private equity partners that we bring into our projects that we syndicate, they too, they're looking at the exact same indices and information and data and statistics that we have on the industry. And that is that it has the lowest loan default rate. It, it profits more and it does better during these economic cycles to weather a recession than any other asset class. What so makes it easier for us to get lending and also to get private equity partners to come alongside of us. So for all those reasons, we made the switch to self-storage. We wanted to be in the asset class that put us in the best position to win. And this is it. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever and remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, 
joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. Do you do new development or do you buy existing facilities or both? The easiest way to get into the self-storage business is to buy one. So it's easier to finance if you're a first-time investor, if there's an existing facility where the bank can look back on the historical returns and look at the occupancy and the P&Ls and make a pretty darn good guess. Not really a guess, but they can follow the trajectory and they're not really taking a chance on you because they're looking at the asset. But now that we have several facilities under our belt and several years of experience, we've gotten into development. So we have a fairly healthy balance of development activity as well as still buying existing facilities. Uh, the existing facilities obviously provide the cash flow, whereas a development, it does provide some income in the terms in terms of fees that we generate along the way. But it takes a couple of years before they begin to really produce cash flow of any significance. And then obviously the profit is more on the back end versus the existing facilities. What are some of the things that we need to think about whether we're buying an existing facility or developing an existing facility? What types of things do we need to think about when we're looking at the actual location? Can I do this anywhere in the U.S.? Or, and obviously the answer is probably no, maybe it is yes, I don't know. But if the answer is no, what are some of the demographics, economical information I should be looking at mm-hmm. in the markets? So first of all, the answer is self-storage does work everywhere, but that doesn't mean it works at every market. And when we call a market, really what we're drilling into is if I'm looking at a site, a piece of ground to develop a facility on, or even an existing facility that may be struggling that we're looking to create value in, then yeah, we dig into the market and we look at who the competition is, how much square footage there is in a three to five mile radius of this site or this existing facility to see whether it's undersupplied or oversupplied. And so in our industry, depending upon who you listen to and who you talk to, the break-even point or the place that where supply meets a demand is uh, somewhere around six and a half to seven and a half square foot per person or per capita. So if you're at three or four square feet per person or per capita, then it's an undersupplied market and obviously over six and a half to seven and a half and it's oversupplied. So there is a demand factor that goes along with that as well. So even in markets that are at eight or nine square foot per capita, like say in Florida, where there are no basements and there's a lot of zero lot line neighborhoods, those facilities may still be full and they may be raising rates. And so we dig into that aspect as well. But those are the first items that we look at. Is there growth in the market is secondary as well? So are there people moving into this market in and around it? Is it in the path of progress? Conversely, we don't want to be in the rural markets where there's just no activity and there's no growth and it's been stagnant and the facilities that have been there have stayed at the same occupancy for extended periods of time. In the terms of development, we do have an additional challenge in that it costs more per square foot to be able to build a self-storage facility than it is to buy an older facility. So we have to be sure that the rental rates, current rates in the market will support the development of a new facility, given the competition and the supply index, the rental rates in the market currently, because we could get the land for free or we could get the building for free to convert. But if the rates aren't there to be able to support the build out and then ultimately the operating expenses, then it doesn't make sense to build on this site or to buy this building. So that and a number of other factors that we put into the due diligence of buying an existing facility as well as our development. But those are the main ones. So competition, the rates in the market, and the supply index, which is the square foot per person. When you're underwriting a self-storage deal, maybe give us some of the things that people don't necessarily think about. Most people listening to this might not have ever invested in self-storage mm-hmm. before. And I'm imagining the underwriting is a little bit different than underwriting your typical rental, whether it be a multifamily, large multifamily, small multifamily. 
whatever. So mm-hmm. what are some of the secrets, some of the things that you've learned, some of the, I won't say tricks, but what are some things we should be thinking about if we're underwriting mm-hmm. a self-storage deal? First of all, Theo, when I made the switch and began looking at self-storage as compared to apartments, most everything in the apartment world, in the multifamily world, is based upon dollars per unit. Everything is unit-based or per door. Whereas in self-storage, it's really based upon square footage. We look at our rental rates per square footage because we can move walls and doors around in self-storage and that's how we compare it to the rest of the market. So that was the first thing I had to kind of wrap my head around is how to look at things in terms of square footage versus doors. But then as we get into the actual underwriting, as you mentioned, then yeah, there are some other nuances that we have in self-storage and different baselines and different metrics that we compare back to as we're going through this. I would say that one of the areas where I think many folks make a mistake, and this could be in multifamily or in self-storage, is that when they find a facility that they're interested in and they get the offering memorandum or the package from a a broker or they get the information from a seller, is if they really don't know the nuances of self-storage, they may just plain not realize or recognize that there are certain expenses that go into the operation of a self-storage facility that the broker or a seller has omitted. And if they don't add that in, then obviously we know what happens. We've overpaid for the property if we had an account for those expenses. So it's really digging in forensically into every line item expense of a facility, making sure that it is the true and real number, and then comparing that against a P&L once we get it under contract, but also looking for those items that may have been missed. The managers are very typically, if we're looking at smaller facilities, they won't include a management fee where we'll underwrite to five, six percent or more. They won't include the lawn care, landscaping, snow removal in the northern states because their manager does it or they do it themselves. And so there's many things that are left off of the PL that now sometimes don't make it into the underwriting for beginning self-storage investors. And then again, beyond that, it's comparing against some industry averages getting a consultant by way of a feasibility study, getting a feasibility study done by a consultant who can back into those numbers, an appraisal on an existing facility where somebody is going to make sure that they vet that. But then there is no mistake for experience and where we can take a look at and peel back the onion on a P&L and begin to understand that, wow, that number is way off. They are way understating their expenses, and we're not going to give them credit for all of this income they've included for late fees and for stabilized rates. So that comes from experience. There is an art and science to underwriting. And in the beginning, make sure you have some help with the professionals or somebody who's been in the business for a number of years as we go through that process so that you don't end up in a situation where you've overpaid for a facility. What about adding value? So the, I guess is particular to existing self-storage facilities, but what are some unique ways that you can add value to self-storage? I kind of let's make it open-ended question and let you answer it however mm-hmm. you want. Sure. So in the beginning, when we began looking at existing facilities on four to five acres that had buildings on three to four of those acres, we would lease up the existing units, raise rates to the market, and then add buildings on because it's a very scalable business. And we would also look for land that is uh, next door, behind it, adjacent across the street, or even a quarter of an eighth of a mile down the road that we could annex and build more buildings on. That is the best way to be able to create value. In addition to that, the beauty of self-storage is that we have so many additional profit centers that you can add onto a self-storage facility by way of selling locks, boxes, and moving supplies, even the administration fee. We don't collect late fees or a deposit because when somebody moves out, they're not going to destroy the concrete or the steel. It's a steel box on a concrete slab. So we offer a $19 non-refundable admin fee. Renter's insurance. In many of our facilities, we mandate that they have renter's insurance so that 
their items are covered, whether it be by us or by their other policy that they may have through their homeowners. And if not, that is another additional way to generate revenue. Beyond that, we've identified over 30 different profit centers that you can add to a self-storage facility. We have eBay services. We can do pack and ship services for somebody that is then shipping things out of the facility, adding temperature control to the facility, and then allowing them to store furs and art and other collectibles and even wine storage and controlling the temperature and the humidity as well. And then if you're going to add boat and RV storage, that could be an ancillary income stream. But then on top of that, detailing services and a make ready or a get ready service, a concierge so that they can just pull up and be gassed up and waxed up and air in the tires and ready to go on vacation. So a number of different profit centers you can add to a self-storage facility. Truck rental being a main one that most people are probably familiar with, adding U-Haul or Penske or some of the others that not only adds additional revenue to the facility, but it also adds door swing and activity into the facility. When people rent a truck, many times they need storage as well. And that turns into additional door swings, which turns into additional rentals. So many, many ways to be able to increase the value of the self-storage facility with very little cost. Okay, Scott, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh gosh, the best ever, I would say. I was very hesitant in the very beginning, Theo, to bring on partners. I guess just my nature, my personality is I just wanted to do everything on my own, perhaps maybe to show everyone or just because I wanted to have control over everything. But then a gray-haired gentleman early on in my career said, I can't imagine doing a real estate deal without bringing in partners. And I never would have been able to amass the portfolio. And he had a massive portfolio to the extent if it hadn't been for partners and really was just kind of opening my eyes and and basically telling me, don't be so close-minded, Scott. You, You absolutely need to have partners. So that is what opened us up to bringing on partners and then syndicating and bringing on multiple partners. And And he's right. We never would have gotten to the scale that we are right now if it would have been for bringing on partners and doing this together. Okay, Scott, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Of course. All right. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Okay, Scott, what is the best ever book you've recently read? You know what? I've reread and reread Traction. We have implemented the entrepreneur operating system in our business. So I'm going through that again. But then also for the first time, getting all the way through Rocket Fuel, which is really the follow-up to that and how you get your integrator within the Traction system to make sure that they are optimizing the entire plan and getting things done. So I would give to Traction and Rocket Fuel. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? finally take the day off. How's that? (laughs) For starters, I would go back to the folks in my inner circle. And hopefully we've all got some people that we rely on, some smart heads that are in business, in my business and others, sit back and take a look at everything that we have, our strong suits. And whether we go in this direction again with self-storage, most likely we would, but we would definitely take a step back and start something again. But I'd be reaching out to my key advisors, the folks that I rely on and who rely on me. Tell us about a time that you've lost money on a deal. How much you lost and what lessons you learned? Yeah, we sold an apartment complex many, many years ago with a seller carryback. 
And we did not get a personal guarantee on that. And sure enough, they went under. It was about $180,000 that we carry back on that. And we didn't see a dime out of that. So I don't think we sold since then with a seller carry back. And we certainly wouldn't do it or recommend anybody do it without a personal guarantee. And then on the flip side, tell us about the Mm -hmm. best ever deal you've done. Oh gosh, we bought an industrial building here in Indianapolis where I live and we converted it to storage. We paid 1.5 million for it, put 400,000 into it. So we had 1.9 into it. And then we sold it for 3.9 in 2007. So just remember wow. the timing of that. Yeah. So better to be lucky than smart, but great timing. And then that facility went through bankruptcy and foreclosure with that owner. And then we bought it back in 2012 for 500. $45,000. And then we leased it up, turned it back around, and we just sold it again this year for a little over $3 million. So it's it's a boomerang property. It's a project that just continues to keep giving. And who knows, I may end up getting it back again someday. I was going to say, yeah, third time. Uh, that's a great deal. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. What's the best of a way you'd like to give back? We've been on several mission trips and went on one where a gentleman took us to build a house in Mexico. And we followed his model since then of taking 10% of our profits in our education business and in our investment business. And now we take people on mission trips and we pay for the whole thing. So we partner with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and we'll take a group of 20 people to build a house. We're now taking trips of 40 people and building two houses. And we do that two times per year. So we're building about four houses a year down in Ensenada, Mexico, and then we give those houses away. And again, the people that go with us are friends, family, coworkers, vendors, students. We pay for the entire trip for them and introduce them to the mission field and let them have their experience and hopefully go on and do something likewise or mission-minded and focused. But that has been an incredible blessing for everybody in our organization, including our family and those that have gone on those trips with us. And of course, the folks that receive the houses. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, Scott. And then the last question, what's the best ever place to reach you? That would be by going to selfstorageinvesting.com. That's selfstorageinvesting.com. We've got a lot of free resources there for folks that are interested in learning more about the business. So that's the best place to reach me as well. And talks about all things that we do on the active side of the business and as well as the passive side of investing in self-storage. What a great URL too. Is that hard to get? <laughs> we had to pay for it several years ago, but uh, thankful that we did. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw yeah, the selfstorageinvesting.com website. That's perfect. If anyone types in self-storage, just I was going to come up. So it's um, Scott, for itself. Yeah, seriously. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. And you're really giving us kind of an A to Z overview of the self-storage investment strategy. And so you explain in your opening statement about why you transitioned to self-storage and some of the advantages and benefits of self-storage compared to other commercial asset classes. We talked about the advantages of new builds versus buying existing. They run down of how to analyze a market and how it's based off of, is it undersupply? Is it oversupply? Is there growth in the market? Does it make sense to develop based off of the rental rates? And we talked about some of the things to look at when you're underwriting mistakes people make. One thing that you had to get used to was looking at things in terms of square footage versus units or doors. Probably that is kind of probably because all asset classes is expenses omitted to so knowing which expenses are supposed to be on there. And then if they're not on there, making sure you add those to your underwriting. And then you gave us a list of a lot of different ways that you can add value to a self-storage. A lot of those I would have never thought of before. So really appreciate you for sharing those with us. And then lastly, your best ever advice, which I also really like, which is in general, not being closed-minded. And then specifically that's applied to partnering up with people on the active side, but also with past investors. Your mentor said that he wouldn't have gotten as big as he was without partners that have allowed you to open your mind and get to where you're at today. So 
Lots of great advice, Scott. So I really appreciate that. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in and listening. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.